Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. In the 2009 Miss USA pageant, Carrie Prejean was asked, how do you define marriage? Which people said afterwards was a gotcha moment. That was a very unfair question to ask a Miss USA contestant, and they knew that she considered herself a Christian. She gave a biblical answer and lost, and the judge even said that's why she lost, because she said that a marriage is between a husband and a wife, that she felt that. She said it's good to be, live in a country where people have freedom, but if you're asking what I believe, it's between a husband and a wife. And the irony being that the majority of Americans certainly in 2009 believed that. From the president on down, people believed that, but that didn't please the judges of Miss USA, and that's why she lost. According to Homeland Security, this is a training ground for terrorists, political terrorists, that has been said before. Now, this is not about politics. We'll just end it there. This is not about politics. It's not about U.S. political parties. My point, this shouldn't come as a surprise to us. Not if we know history. Um, Historically, Pam, do you mind shutting that door? Historically, the church has not gotten along with the government. It doesn't matter which government. Historically, the church and the state have not been friends. We, the U.S. is based, if anything, if there's any example through history that we are based upon, it's Rome. Rome was a republic till they lost it and gave up their freedoms of living under a republic to be ruled by tyrants that they called Caesars. We could look to that as an example if we wanted to get into politics and, and, and ask the question, are we heading that way? And I, we, we might be, we might not be. As I said, this isn't about politics. But the church didn't get along with Rome, um, it, certainly in the days of, of Peter and, and Paul. And, and I think that we fool ourselves if we think that the government owes us anything. The government doesn't owe us anything. Yes, our founding fathers were Christians. Yes, they built a, a, they, their goal was to build a nation where the church was separated from the state, unlike England, where a lot of them came from, where the Church of England uh, was, was tied to the state. But governments shift, and we're watching that. Governments shift, and... and, and the church, if the church is doing its job right, the church isn't shifting. The church is, if, if we're doing our job right, within the restoration movement of churches, we do not consider the word primitive an insult. Our goal is primitive Christianity. Our goal is first century New Testament Christianity. And yeah, we use speakers and lights and air conditioning, hopefully, this summer. We like those changes, but, but doctrinally, nothing, we, we want nothing to have changed within our churches from first century church. And so as culture shifts, 
and culture shifts, it goes through phases. Governments rise, governments fall. The church should be doing the same thing it's always been, which means there will be times that we are very unpopular as Christians, and that's as it should be. So if we're heading into tough times where the church doesn't get along with the government as well as it used to, good. That's okay. Maybe we may be a little comfortable, we, we may be a little spoiled, and we might start to take for granted that government and the church get along, and we shouldn't take that for granted. It won't always happen, and that's okay. If we're following the Bible, then it doesn't matter if, if governments hate us, if, if culture hates us, if Hollywood and Wall Street, and in fact, if anything, historically, Christianity makes enemies. Not I don't want to say on purpose. (laughs) The goal isn't to go out and make people mad, but the goal is to call sin, sin. And if that makes people mad, then they get mad about that. We're in Ezra chapter 4 today. Actually, we're going to cover a lot of ground today. Those who follow God make enemies. So, Talked about this last time. The, the, the northern nation of Assyria, uh, the northern nation of Israel, was conquered by the Assyrians. They left behind the poor people. They moved in some other conquered people. You've got you've got some Israelites, and you've got some other people. And over a few generations, they merged. They weren't really Israelites. They didn't use that name. They couldn't use that name to call what they were. So they were kind of named after the capital city of Israel, which was Samaria. So you've got these people that historically were called Samaritans, which were kind of Israelite, kind of not. Their religion was kind of Israelite, kind of not. The people of Judah to the south got captured by the Babylonians, but then the Babylonians got captured by the Persians. <laughs> and Cyrus, king of Persia, lets the Israelites go home, and so, or the, the people of Judah go home. So you've got Judah to the south, and you've got these Samaritans to the north, and they don't get along. And, and the Jews of Judah are now ready to rebuild the temple. Cyrus gave them permission to rebuild their temple. He was even going to fund it. Um, but there's opposition from the Samaritans. And, and, and there's a problem. There, there, there's two problems with, with the Jews trying to rebuild the temple. Number one, King Cyrus is really far away. And number two is he dies. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's going to be a problem. Um, and, and, and then there are a string of kings. And what makes the Bible a little tricky to read is the Bible never puts the first, the second, the third. And so historically, it's kind of hard to keep. All those Persian kings were Cyrus, Darius, Cambyses, Xerxes, and Artaxerxes. There are five Artaxerxes. There, were, there, there was more than one of all of those guys. And that can be a little hard to follow in the Bible. They just It's an Artaxerxes. They don't tell us which one, and they bounce back and forth. And, and it is hard to keep... Ezra covers a lot of time for it. There, there's a big, you know, we jump from chapter 3 to chapter 4, and you might think, well, I read chapter 3 yesterday and chapter 4 today, but it may, we may be jumping 10, 15, 20 years. The, Samaritan, the, the Jews faced opposition from the Samaritans, from the government of Samaria, from Artaxerxes and these other new kings. The people of God will face opposition from time to time. Um, and, and we need to be prepared for that. 
not, not try to deny it, not try to pretend it's not happening. Um, now, l- let me be clear. I don't think historically I would call what the church is going through right now in the U.S. suffering. I, don't, I think we're spoiled. I, th- I think we're doing pretty well. I think we've had a couple of hundred good years of, of a... I'm gonna, I, don't, I don't like the phrase a Christian nation, but we had Christian forefathers who, who created a nation that's easy to be a Christian in with freedom of worship. I would love to see that continue for hundreds of more years. I don't know if it will, maybe, I hope. That'd be great. But, but I don't know that God owes us that. I don't know that our government owes us that. Uh, I, I think we'll continue to, to try to fight for that and see that that happens. But if it doesn't happen, if we go the way of Rome in the past, so be it. I want to look at Ezra chapter 4 and, and see, assuming that times may get tough and we should be not with our head buried in the sand, but preparing for them, I think we could take some examples from, from the book of Ezra on, on how, to, how to survive having enemies around us be they political or otherwise. Ezra chapter 4. When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and to the heads of the families and said, let us help you build because like you, we seek your God and have been sacrificing to him since the time of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered, You have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded us. Then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They hired counselors to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. I want to skip ahead. Skip ahead to verse 17. You know, they, they, they send a letter to, you know, they're waiting out the kings. And as we go through these different kings, they send a letter to, I think it's to Artaxerxes. Uh, verse 17. The king sent this reply to Rehum the commanding officer, Shimshai the secretary, and the rest of their associates living in Samaria and elsewhere in trans-Euphrates. Greetings. The letter you sent us has been read and translated in my presence. I issued an order, and a search was made, and it was found that this city has a long history of revolt against kings and has been a place of rebellion and sedition. Jerusalem had powerful kings ruling over the whole of trans-Euphrates. Taxes, tribute, and duty were paid to them. Now issue an order to these men to stop work so that this city will not be rebuilt until I so order. Be careful not to neglect this matter. Why let this threat grow to the detriment of the royal interests? As soon as the copy of the letter of King Artaxerxes was read to Rehum and Shimshai the secretary and their associates, they went immediately to the Jews in Jerusalem and compelled them by force to stop. Thus the work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Despite hardships, there is a joy in working for the Lord. There was work to be done, and the people were overjoyed to do it. 
then there was opposition. Their enemies, the Samaritans, discouraged the people. Um, being, you know, the people were. Fear plays a big part in this story. I think this account. Um, what, what, what they maybe didn't realize was that the work of the Lord. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. The work of the Lord will always bring enemies. Why are there so many enemies for God? Um, Why does he have so many enemies? And I think it's because God hates sin. And he hates sin in our lives. The gospel of Jesus Christ shines like a light. Sin is exposed for what it is. That's just John chapter 3. And there are people, as John, Jesus tells us, in John 3, that like their sin, and they want to hang on to it, and they resent those who tell them to get rid of sin, that God doesn't want it. Um, they, they don't, John, Jesus says in John 3, they don't want their sins to be exposed as sin. They, at heart, they know it's sin. They know it's bad. I felt overwhelming guilt yesterday. Calypso's birthday party was yesterday. I try to eat healthy. I did not yesterday. Red velvet cake? Ooh. I, I just couldn't get over how guilty... I mean, I just... I try to watch my carbs. I just blew pizza. I blew that out of the water yesterday. I felt guilty all the time. All day yesterday, I just felt terrible about that. I shouldn't. It's, it, it's her party, uh, you know, cheat day, whatever. But that, that feeling of guilt... And it took me a bit to figure out why I just felt so lousy. I felt almost depressed in the evening. It's because I knew that I cheated on this diet that I'm trying to stay on, this, this healthy eating. People at heart know. I think the whole world, I, I think our world knows. I think, I think the book of Romans tells us that at heart, our world knows what is good and what is evil. But they still want to do the things they want to do. And at heart, I think if it, that quiet moment, that's why, that's why the biggest movie day of the year is Christmas. I love Christmas. Christmas is that one day a year when you can mention Jesus, the birth of our Savior, and, man, it, it just it fits. It, it, people liked even, My non-Christian friends are not offended by Merry Christmas. I loved it. I've never had anybody get offended by Merry Christmas. I will tell them that, and they, they get it. The holiday is important to me. Birth of my Savior is important to me. But Christmas Day is, that, is, is the biggest movie-selling day of the year because I think it's the one day of the year. It's also historically the day that most people take their own lives. It's the highest day for suicide because it's the one day of the year that people who are living in opposition to Jesus are just confronted with him. <laughs> and, and you can't tune Jesus out very easily on December 25th. And so they either go to the movie theaters and try to tune him out that way or they fail. And, and they're reminded, too many people are reminded that they're lost without him and they feel that, 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 that voice they've been tuning out for 364 days. People don't want, people don't want their darkness exposed. We can use that example of that, I know I use this a lot, that friend of mine that had cancer and avoided the doctor because he didn't want to hear the bad, but, but it was killing him. And, and people don't want to hear that sin is killing them, 
But they need to hear that. It's not like it's going to go away. When we do the work of the gospel and tell people of the deadliness of sin and being separated from God, there will be different reactions. Some people will thank us. Some people will say, I hadn't heard that. We live in a post-Christian world. There are, we can assume that everybody knows who Jesus is, but that's no longer true. That may have been true 50 years ago. It's not true now. There are people that know nothing of the gospel. There are some people that if you tell them the truth of God, that God wants to save them from their sin and from the consequences of their sin, there are people that will thank you. If the Bible is true, and I think it is, they, they will be in the minority, but for them it's worth it. There will be, we live in the whatever generation, there will be people that will say whatever. They will tune you out. There will be some that will hate you for it. There will be some, and, and those are not the people that we cater to. We don't want to say, well, I don't want to tell people about Jesus because they might hate me for it. That's, that would be crazy. I don't want to tell somebody, my friend is sick. I don't want to tell him what the cure is to being sick because he might, you know, he might hate me for telling him this. We don't do that. There will be people that will hate you for, for telling them the truth of the gospel because deep down they, they don't want to hear that they've been wrong. Pride gets in the way. They want to live in their delusion and they will resent you for reminding them of that. Misery loves company. They want you to either agree with their sin or stop talking, preaching. But we have a charge from God. We, can't, we cannot stop. We must proclaim his message, and some will hate us for that, and, and that's okay. We've got this wrong... We have this terrible idea that if somebody hates me, I must be doing something wrong. If somebody's angry with me, if somebody doesn't like me, obviously I'm doing something wrong because if I was a good person, everybody would like me. But they didn't all like Jesus. They killed him for his message. And if we're going to be Christ-like, there will be people that will not like what we're saying, and that's okay. We are known by, I think we're known by our enemies sometimes. And Satan is a great enemy to have. Satan is not all-powerful. He has limited resources. If Satan is ruining your life, good news, he thinks you're a threat. (laughs) If Satan is leaving you alone, maybe you're not a threat to him. Satan will oppose us if we are doing our job. Christians cannot please everybody. If we try to do that, we will compromise the gospel. The work of the Lord should bring us joy. We take joy in our fight against against the devil. There is a joy in working for the Lord. There there is a joy that happens when God watches over us. Uh, Chapter 5, Ezra chapter 5. Now, Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, a descendant of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. And then Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Jeshua the son of Josedach set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, helping them. And at that time, Tatani the governor of Trans-Euphrates and Shether Bozani and their associates went to them and asked, Who authorized you to rebuild this temple and restore this structure? They also asked, What are the names of the men constructing this building? But the eye of their God was watching over the elders of the Jews, and they were not stopped until a report could go to Darius and his written reply be received. 
Well, the people were nervous and upset and stressed and frustrated. Where is God when we need it? Well, but who let them out of captivity? That, that was the Lord. Cyrus didn't make a habit of letting captured peoples go. Historically, Judah was unique. That was just not done. There's no way that that isn't miraculous, that God didn't work through Cyrus, king of Persia, to let the Jews go. God moved him. Okay, so now there, there, there are enemies out to get them, and it may seem like the enemies are winning, but Ezra is quick to point out, and what the prophets Haggai and Zechariah clearly gave as a message to the people, God is watching over us. God is with us. This is so important. We are human. We have limited perception. We only see out of our world, out of, you know, I only see things out of my own eyes, hear things out of my own ears. My imagination, amazing though it is, 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 is limited. I, no surprise, one of my favorite writers is, uh, is John, John Ronald Ruel Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Phenomenal writer. Um, Christian man. One of the things he points out in his, uh, in his essay on fairy stories is that imagination is a gift from God. He says that, that, that is something that no, the animal kingdom does not have imagination. We can talk, I could say, think of a big yellow truck. And you can do that. You know, maybe yours has huge wheels, maybe yours has small wheels, I don't know. Animals can't do that. We can talk about the color yellow, which is just a concept. We're not talking about like a yellow banana or a yellow bus. We can just talk about yellow as a concept, and we get that. And Tolkien points out animals don't do that. Imagination is a gift from God. It helps us imagine things in the Bible. It helps us imagine heaven, which is good because we're, we're, that's what we're aiming for, right? To eternal life with God. I want, I, want to, I want to picture that. I can't. It's... it's, it's it's beyond my imagination, but I'm glad that God's given me at least a head, a, 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 an imagination that gets at least me started down that way. Sometimes because we can't see God, we forget that he always sees us. He is there. He watches over us. It's easy to forget that. Easy on a Sunday morning to remember it. Friday night, a little harder. Um, Somebody will say, Jason, my life just feels out of control sometimes. It feels like it's going wrong. Where is, where is God in this? First off, it is hard. It is so hard in the U.S. to say that our life is going wrong. We are so blessed. Again, I'm, I may sound like I complain about politics, but I wouldn't live anywhere else. Um, we have been very blessed by the freedoms that we have, the wealth that we have. I think about my, you know, we talk about first world problems. At least in the story of my life, that's the case. You know, I'm driving behind a car and it throws a rock and it cracks my windshield. Oh, who cares? <laughs> I've got friends that are... I've got, fr- I've, I've got a friend named John that lives in Ukraine right now. Wouldn't trade places with him for anything. Not a thing. Um, we, are, we, are, we are so blessed. So, but having said that, I don't want to make light of, of our own... We, we do have things that go wrong in our lives. We do have... We, we, do have, we, we still have health problems. You know, cancer exists in Ukraine, it exists here. Uh, we, we still have all these problems in our life, and I don't want to make light of those. So, when I have these bad times, has God abandoned me? Okay, maybe not abandoned, Jason, but he's not helping me the way that I, I want him to help me. 
Well, but his, but his spirit lives within me. And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. God watches over us. That's some phenomenal news. We don't always get what we want. God watches Christian or not, God watches over us. But the really good news is if you're a Christian, he is not just watching over you, but he is in you. And so when you go through the tough times, you're not going through them alone. God is with you. And he mourns with you in the difficult times, and he rejoices with you in the good times. This brings us joy. So, so why doesn't he fix everything that's wrong in our life? Well, I, I don't know that he can. I, I, I mean, there, you know, I, in southern Illinois, I gave the example that if every farmer got the exact weather that they wanted, weather would be patchwork and would change from acre to acre. I mean, that's not realistic. Politics, we're not all going to get the candidate that we want to win. That's ridiculous because we all want different candidates to win. We're not always going to get what we want, and that's okay. What we want, this is where we, our imagination helps us keep our eyes on the prize. What we want is to be like Jesus and then to live with him forever. And that's our goal, is to be Christ-like. Now, some of us, being in good health, helps us to share the gospel message and to be Christ-like and, and, and to get that. And, and so for some of us, what we pray for is, God, help me to be in, in good health. But some of us are made perfect in our weakness. Paul prayed. I'll use the word complained to God about the thorn in his flesh, but I don't mean complain like he was angry with God, but he had something that he called a thorn in his flesh, just code for something that was wrong with him. I think he had a trauma-induced cataracts in his eyes from getting stoned all those times that they threw rocks at him. That's what I think. Whatever it was, God didn't heal that, and Paul realized that God was made perfect in his weakness, and so sometimes we pray God make help so-and-so to get better in health, and sometimes that happens and sometimes it doesn't because the goal isn't to be healthy, the goal is to be Christ-like. And if in poor health I see that I need to rely upon God all the more, then, then come Lord Jesus. The point of life is to have a relationship with God. That's, let me say that at the end of the day, I think that's kind of the only point. You know, I want a relationship with God through his son Jesus Christ and I want to share that with others and the rest doesn't because nothing else I can take with me my comic book collection I'm not going to keep it when I die um, my Star Trek books I'm not going to keep them when I die no point you know that house could burn down I've lost all of my belongings and nothing that matters because what matters is my relationship with God and that won't that won't Perish, spoil, or fade, and nobody can take that from me. I can give it up, but nobody can take it from me. And it's the only thing I take with me when I die. And if we don't have a relationship with God, then we are truly lost. As for chapter 6, verse 3. Darius is or Darius's letter. In the first year of King Cyrus, the king issued a decree concerning the temple of God in Jerusalem. Let the temple be rebuilt as a place to present sacrifices, and let its foundation be laid. It is to be 90 feet high and 90 feet wide, 
with three courses of large stones and one of timbers, the costs are to be paid by the royal treasury. Also, the gold and the silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, are to be returned to their places in the temple in Jerusalem. They're to be deposited in the house of God. Now then, Tatani, governor of Trans-Euphrates, and Shether Bozani, and you, their fellow officials of that province, stay away from there. Do not interfere with the work of this temple of God. Let the governor of the Jews and the Jewish elders rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, I hereby decree what you are to do for these elders of the Jews in the construction of this house of God. The expenses of these men are to be fully paid out of the royal treasury from the revenues of trans-Euphrates, so that the work will not stop. Whatever is needed, young bulls, rams, male lambs for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, in wheat, salt, wine, and oil, as requested by the priests in Jerusalem, must be given them daily without fail, so that they may offer sacrifices pleasing to the God of heaven and pray for the well-being of the king and of his sons. So Darius did a little research, found out what Cyrus decreed, and Darius said, yeah, uh, we're going to do that and, and, and more. It had been a long time since Israel had celebrated worship together in the temple, 70 years of captivity. But more than that, Judah and Israel to the north, 400 years of separation from that civil war. And after all of that, the civil wars, the invaders, the captivities, look where they're at. This is a nation that is poised. I love that word poised. Poised for what? Well, the New Testament is so different from the Old, isn't it? In the Old Testament, Israel keeps turning to the Baals and the Ashtoreths and, and these foreign gods, and they've got problems with all sorts of temple prostitutes and totem poles and all these things in the Old Testament that you don't see in the New Testament. You don't see the people getting cozy with pagan nations. You don't see prophets saying, well, you guys should start worshiping God again. In the time when Jesus comes, it's the other problem. It's the other way around. They've gone from being struggling with paganism to Jesus' complaints. If anything, you guys are too legalistic. I love that you guys want to tithe to the Lord, but he doesn't really need you to tithe your, your dill seed and your mustard seed. And your, your, you know, you, you, you got, the, the shift from Old and New Testament are so different. In the Old Testament, struggle to get the people to worship in the temple in, with, with sacrifices and offerings and tithes. In the New Testament, not only is there the temple, but they have synagogues, little home churches scattered throughout the, the, every town. The people would get together. Not only they, would they go to the temple yearly, but they would, they would get together in the synagogues on a weekly basis, and they were offering sacrifices. And we went from being pagan to Jesus struggling against a legalism of missing the point of what they're doing because they were doing so much religion that they forgot kind of why they were doing it. What a different time frame between Old and New Testament. What, what changed? Well, they, that captivity, that captivity transformed their mindset. We, we got carted off into captivity by the Babylonians because we weren't following God. We need to make sure that we follow God. At this point, Israel, Judah, is poised to completely go from being a pagan, a country that struggled with paganism, to a, to a people that, that really get excited about following God. You know, a while back we followed 
We, we, we read through on Sunday night. We made it through the book of Revelation. Um, I'm no expert on, on, on the book of Revelation. I challenge anybody that says they're an expert, I'm going to challenge that. that. That's a tough book to be an expert on. I studied it a lot. Uh, in, in high school and in college, I was in Bible Bowl, and we studied Revelation quite extensively. Uh, as much as any other book I've studied, it's still a really hard book to get through. Um, having, having studied, Reve- having read it more times than I can count, having studied it extensively, um, I may be pretty lost on a lot of it, but there's one thing I do get from the book of Revelation. God has a plan, and he knows what he's doing. And I don't have to know what he's doing, I just have to trust him. And it's easy for me to look at the world and look at southern border crisis and Ukraine and all these other things that are going on and say, boy, the world is spinning out of control. But I know that God is in control. And I know you know, that song, I've read the back of the book and we win. I know that much. I know that God wins, and I know that if I'm on his side, I'm on the winning side. Um, I, he's in charge and I can trust him. The, the singer Greg Volz, um, who, who sang with Petra but also had a had his own solo career, said some people treat God like a crutch. He's not a crutch. He's a stretcher. Sit back and enjoy the ride because that's the only way we're going. And I like that. There's a lot of truth to that. I know that the Bible says that we are to be people that can discern the times. There's an ancient Chinese proverb, that a curse, an ancient Chinese curse that says, may you live in interesting times. It's a curse. These are interesting times we live in. I don't know that that's always good. Um, but what a, it's terrifying, it's exhilarating, but what a time to be alive, to see what God is doing in this world. I, I might say exciting. I, if I have a favorite TV show, it's the science fiction show Doctor Who, at least the first 26 years of it. I'm not sure that I like the newer episodes. The old show would always end on a cliffhanger. It was always that, how is Doctor Who going to get out of this? I feel like that's every day of life these days. It's, it, we're, we're living in cliffhangers. What is God going to do next? But I, just like I knew that they would never kill off Doctor Who in his own show, <laughs> I know that God's going to win. I just don't know how he's going to do it, but what an exciting and fun time to live in. Um, rather than be worried about all these things that I can't control in the world around me, I'm excited to see how God's going to get us through this. I know that there's going to be tough times. I think Revelation tells that there will be tough times before the end. But I also know that we get, out, we get through it okay. Um, God, God saves the day. And I know that that's coming. God cannot be overcome. Uh, joy is waiting on the Lord and trusting his plan. Our hymn of decision today is hymn number 574, I think. God changed the attitude of the king so that he would assist, the king would assist the people in the rebuilding of the temple. Their obedience to the Lord brought them joy. Obedience to the Lord does this. It brings us joy. In spite of who we are, God brings us joy when we honor him with obedience. He is calling us to follow him. If you haven't made the decision to obey the Lord and follow him through his son, Jesus Christ, I want to talk with you about that. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.